Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, March the 20th, 2022. It is currently 2.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I, I'm so used to say I'm coming. I, I'm so used to saying that I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I have been saying that now for so many years <laughs> that I was just getting ready to just out of habit say I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, and then I looked around and realized I'm not in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church. No, I'm coming to you from my home here in Abilene, Texas. But where I'm broadcasting from is probably of little significance to you. So wherever you may be, whatever state, whatever country, whatever room, (laughs) whether in your car, wherever you may be, welcome. And I hope you're ready to have, well, hopefully uh, an interesting discussion and conversation as we introduce, or as I, I should say, I introduce to you a new week of Bible study. Now, if you tuned in to the Saturday night broadcast, you will know what you're supposed to be doing this week for Bible study, but we're, we're also in the midst of that. We're going to add a, a, a special focus, but your, your overall assignment will stay the same. So let me remind you, if you did not listen to last night's broadcast, go find the broadcast for the chapter summary method of Bible study. The chapter summary method of Bible study. Listen to that Learn that method of Bible study, because all of this week, you need to be doing the chapter summary method on John chapter 13, John chapter 14, and John chapter 15. Three chapters uh, using the chapter summary method of Bible study. The goal is observation, not interpretation. I really have to stress that, but please do that work. If you have any questions, if you're confused, If you don't know what you're doing, if you need any help at all, simply email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and I will possibly take your question, take your, your problem or your concern, immediately run up the stairs, grab the microphone, and go live and say, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this question. I won't give your name, obviously, but I'll say here, this is the question someone has. This is the problem someone is having. Let's talk about it. So that's one of the things we're going to be doing all of this week is really trying to help you accomplish the chapter summary method of Bible study on John chapter 13, John chapter 14, and John chapter 15. Now remember, the reason we're doing this is because soon uh, we're going to be spending a couple, probably about six weeks in Matthew 24, which is a chapter that deals with so many things related to biblical prophecy. There's so much disagreement on Matthew chapter 24. You've got the the way the preterist views it. You've got the the non-preterist and their views on it. There's so many different things about Matthew 24. So you're going to definitely be doing a chapter summary method on Matthew uh, chapter 24. But because that chapter, there's so much controversy and disagreement around it, I want you to be as prepared and as equipped as you can be And the way to get you equipped is the chapter summary method of Bible study. So John 13, John 14, John 15, chapter summary method. But as you're doing the chapter summary method, I want want you to take some time this week to also consider a very important 
topic, a topic that is found in John chapter 13, John chapter 14, and John chapter 15, right? So you're going to see this topic for every chapter summary method you do. You're going to come across, you're going to have to deal with this topic because it's mentioned in all three chapters. And this week is going to be focused on that topic. Now, if you're using the Bible study curriculum, this would be a good time to access it. If you're listening and you don't know what the Bible study curriculum is, it's basically, it's just a free Bible study curriculum that kind of supplements what we do here. Sometimes we really follow it and look at it. Sometimes I barely mention it, but it's there every week available to you. So if you want access, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I send you a link. It's absolutely free, but we do thank and I do recognize those who have financially donated to help support and pay for the curriculum. We do appreciate those who do so, but we don't ask anyone uh, to give. If you can't give, that's fine. If you don't want to give, that's fine. We just want you to use the curriculum to help supplement not only what we're doing here in the Bible study exercise podcast episodes, but just to supplement whatever you're doing in your study. Anything we can do to help you grow spiritually and get you. Remember the key, the, the, I know I say this all the time. The goal of this, uh, this podcast episode, this series called the Bible study exercise, the Bible study exercise series is to motivate you to stop being a passive listener, but to be an active student of the Bible. It's one thing to listen to what everyone else has studied, study it for yourself, which is even, it's more needed than ever because one of how much uh, apostasy and heresy there is in the in the church today, but not just that. Christians are so distracted by everything, everything going on in the world, all the entertainment available to them, po- politics, and they get away from the Word of God. And we need to get people back to that now. But if you do have access to the curriculum, it's time to access it. All right, we're in session four this week. Session four. Session four is titled, A Life of Love. A Life of Love. For this week, yes, you're doing the chapter summary method on John 13, 14, and 15. Please do that. Please do that. But as you're working on that chapter summary method, I want you to think of the Christian life being a life of love, and I want you to just meditate on this. Do you feel that in 2022, the one thing that no longer characterizes the followers of Christ is a life of love? Do you believe a life of love has be, is, is something that is missing in the life of Christians? Christians today are combative. They are sarcastic, condescending, judgmental, mean, argumentative, I mean, there's, I think there's lots of words that people would use to describe many Christians today. Political. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But when, when the world thinks of Christians, do they think those are the people who love others? If you, if you want to find the most loving people in the world, like if, if, there was, if there was a group of lost people sitting around discussing the world, and you're like, you know what? This world is a really messed up place. This world, people have no mercy, they have no compassion, they're hateful, they're, 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 they're just horrible people. But you know what I found? That whenever I find Christians, I find people who, are, who live a life of love. They love other people. It makes no sense to me. Do you think that's how the world describes us? 
I will say that that's the one characteristic that is missing. I think many Christians want to be known for their political stance, or they, we want they want to be we want to be known for the culture wars that we're willing to fight, and that we we think this is wrong, and we think this is wrong. I mean, over the last few days, I, I keep seeing uh, things pop up in the Christian world about how upset they are with Disney for crying out loud. I mean, right now, Christians want to be known for our outrage over Disney. It, it's just so weird the things we 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 don't even realize it. But we, we almost put forth a, a, a persona that we may think demonstrates holiness, godliness, and righteousness. But I think the persona we put forth, the world doesn't perceive godliness, righteousness, and holiness. They see hatred, judgmental jerks. That, that's what they see. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we should not take a stand for righteousness. I'm not saying we shouldn't take a stand for holiness. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what we want to be known for, though, in the midst of that is a life of love. And John 13, 14, and 15 mentions it. If you've already been working on the chapter summary method, I hope you've already noticed this. I hope you've already seen this. And I think it's just interesting that it shows up in all three chapters. So that's what I really want you to focus on as you're not only as you're working on the chapter summary method, this I'm not I'm, I don't want to give you any extra assignments. I, I already promised that your, your assignments is the chapter summary method, but just just something to discuss, something to meditate on, something to just think about. When, when you when you think of other Christians, do you first think of them as living a life of love, or do you think of them because of well they don't do this and they don't do that and they think this is sinful? And they, do you do you perceive them by their outward morality? Or do you perceive them based off a life of love? Do you see their their life of love transcending and going above and beyond just a moral system? I think some people think Christianity is nothing more than a moral system, which we typically fall short of the very morality we preach. Do Do they see anything else? Do you perceive yourself as a Christian living a life of love. I really, 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 really want you to think about that. And there's a lot more I could say, but I'll just leave it there for introduction's sake. All right. So John 13, 14, 15, chapter summary method, and then a life of love. Now, here's what I want you to do. Oh, I wish I wish I was in the church right now and everybody was sitting in the pews because I would really I would love if you're listening live, you can answer the question in the chat. If you if you're if you're listening live using the Spreaker app, I know other people are using the Church One app, but whichever even if you're using the Church One app, uh, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com to give me your thoughts. Now, if if you know anything about me, I love to analyze things, right? It doesn't matter if it's a movie, doesn't matter if it's a song, it doesn't matter if it's a picture. I love a, a novel, analyze, 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 because I know things are just not placed there randomly. And in and, and, and a movie, every camera shot has significance, right? It's trying to demonstrate something. When I when I opened up the the study guide for this week's study, all right, I see session four, I see a life of love, and then right underneath that. It's a very interesting picture, very interesting, because when I think of a a life of love, I would think of a photograph, right, showing someone demonstrating a life of love and what they are doing. But what this demonstrates is a desk. 
that's got these stacks of paper, right? There's three large stacks of paper. I mean, these stacks are high, right? Three stacks. All kinds of papers. Looks like they're kind of clipped together uh, with some kind of clip or some kind of tape. I mean, it's... It's just crazy. And then right at the end of that stack of papers, there, there, there are three stacks. Uh, there's someone with their hand on their head just looking down at the desk, almost as if they're like, oh, my goodness, they're overwhelmed. They're like, they're, you, you almost imagine when I see it, like, this is all the work they have to get done. They have all this work to do. And they're just sitting there overwhelmed by all of this work. And when I, when I saw that, I, my first immediate reaction was, what does that have to do with a life of love? What does that picture have to do with a life of love? I mean, they chose it for a reason. Now, right underneath that, they put these words. When have you been asked to do something that seemed overwhelming at first? When have you been asked to do something that seemed overwhelming at first? So let me ask you this question. Do you feel that being asked, being commanded by Scripture to love others, to live a life of love, to love not just your neighbor, but to love even your enemy, do you believe that that you... Or do you feel overwhelmed by that commandment, by that request, by that directive? Do you feel overwhelmed by it? Now, I think when we hear it, our first reaction is, yeah, that's awesome. I should love people. I should love people. But I think the more you really look at it, maybe maybe there is a sin. Now, I'm not saying they're trying to imply we should be overwhelmed by that, but it just seems they clearly want us to think about being overwhelmed. And this section is on living a life of love. I think it is overwhelming. Because I think if we're honest, if we're honest, loving anything outside of ourselves, loving God, loving others, loving our enemy, I think loving anything outside of ourselves is overwhelming because of our depravity, because of our sinful nature. The only thing we truly want to love is ourself. The greatest battle is fighting the love of self and to love others is a is a battle because we want to love ourselves. Now, what we have a tendency to do is we tend to love others simply as a means to an end. I'm going to love you because it's going to benefit me. If I love you, I get A, B, C, D, E. If I love you, you will do this for me. If I love you, you will give me this. So I think there is a tendency to love, but we're not really loving, we're using. We're, we're going we're gonna to give love in order to get something. Love is simply the means to an end, which is typically my pleasure, my, my being, me being served, me being exalted, me. And I think we have to ask ourselves when we love others, are we truly loving others or simply pretending to love others in order to get something? So I think when we really start thinking about love and, and from a biblical perspective, a true understanding of love, it's overwhelming because it's you're, you're, you're play, when you love others, you're placing them before you. And that goes against our sinful nature. I think this is very important. Then they go on to say this. 
Remaining in Christ means our relationships are marked by love. Remaining in Christ means our relationships are marked by love. This is what it means to be a life of love, is that you live a life where every relationship, every encounter is marked by love. That when you go through the drive-thru, the way you speak to that person, it's marked by a, a loving attitude. The way you talk to the person at the convenience store, the way you talk to people at work, the way you talk to a stranger, the way you talk to people in church, the way you talk to your kids, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you talk to your pastor, the way the pastor talks to, to the people in the, in, the, in the congregation. Is it truly marked by love? To remain in Christ means that our relationships are marked by love. Can you honestly say that today? Are are we so marked by love that that's how the world sees us? That's how the world, like, I mean, you know, just 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 talk, stop and talk to random people on the street and say, what what what? When you think of Christians, when you think of Christianity, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? If they don't say loving people, well, then have we failed miserably? I think, again, some people would say, oh, they're against abortion, or they're against homosexuals, or they're against LGBTQ, or they're against... It's about what we're against. It's about the culture war that we're known for fighting. They're upset with Disney. They don't like this. They don't like that. Well, wait a minute. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be known for some of those moral stances, but shouldn't love be maybe what they're known for first? Is that... Is that what, what do you think? Now... I could go on with the curriculum, but I'm going to stop. Here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible, if you have a notebook, I want you to open that Bible to John chapter 13. We're going to go through John 13, John 14, and John 15, and look at everything they have to say about love. John 13, John 14, and John 15, and then I'll end with helping you out in the chapter summary method on John chapter 15, because I'm going to give you a, just a suggested simple outline to help you with your outlining of John chapter 15. But are you ready? Here we go. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 1. These three chapters begin, the very first verse of John 13 starts with the concept of love. But notice how it begins. Here we go. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. It's a key concept. It's kind of implied here. In some ways, I believe it's pretty explicit, but at least it's implied. For us, if we're going to live a life marked by love, it begins with us continually being aware of God's love for us. If you're going to live a life marked by love, the only way that even comes close to happening is you have to live in a constant awareness of God's love for you. If you're constantly aware of God's love for you, if you're constantly overwhelmed by the love that you are constantly receiving, 
then it will be easier to be the one giving. If Look, you can know theoretically God loves you. You can know it in theory. You can answer the question in a Bible trivia contest. You can answer the question during a sermon if your pastor asks questions and he wants answers. And you can look really smart. Maybe you win, you know, you win some kind of award for knowing so much about the Bible. It's one thing to know it. It's, it's a different thing to live constantly aware of that love for you. Because as we receive, it's easier to give. You can't give what you're not necessarily receiving. If you are filled with the awareness of God's love, then that awareness of God's love for you should lead you to be giving that same kind of love to others. And let's make it very clear. You don't deserve God's love. Neither do I. No one does. No no one deserves the holy God to love us because we are sinful. We are reprobates. We are rebels. The fact that God loves me should be the very motivating thing to try to love others in the way in which I have been loved. But we start taking God's love for granted. We just, we almost act like, well, God's got to love me because look at how, look at how godly I am. I mean, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this. Look at me. I'm so good. And then we see other people who are not as good and like, well, you know, if, if they were, if they were good, then maybe they would deserve God's love. Now, I don't care if they're a Christian. I don't care if they're not a Christian. We should seek to love them. Doesn't mean excusing sin, but we love them in and through their sin and through their failure. Sometimes what we, it's just amazing. I think sometimes as Christians, I think their first question, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think sometimes in the minds of some Christians, their first thought when they meet someone and someone is living in a sinful lifestyle, some, I think what they, the first thing Christians want to know is how can I let that person know that what they're doing I think is sinful and I think is wrong? Like we, the first thing we want these people to know is that I think what you're doing is sinful. I disapprove of it. I'm against it. It's wrong. Sometimes the first thing we want them to know is that we condemn their behavior, we condemn their lifestyle more than we want to just express our love to them as a person created in the image of God. We're, we've got to express, maybe we should try to express love first, not saying we excuse the sin because at some point you may have to deal with that, obviously, but do they, do they see your love or do they see your condemnation first? Which comes first? Is it, is it, is it kind of like, and this is kind of a, a graphic illustration, but when you walk up to them, do you walk up to them and go, boom, you slap them across the face and go, sinner? Or do they first see your love, your mercy, your compassion, and your grace? And that compassion, mercy, and grace, and love is the very mercy, compassion, and grace you've received from God. I, I think it's something to consider. Jesus loved in John chapter 13, he loved his own until the very end. He lived a life characterized by love. He lived a life characterized by love. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus never condemned. It is interesting that typically his strongest words and strongest condemnation were for the religious people and not for the so-called sinners. For the sinners, he seemed to have a different approach than to the religious people. Right, that, that, that is just an interesting observation. But... He loved, and he loved his own to the very end. I just think it's very interesting. This section begins with God's love towards his own, towards his disciples. 
I just think that's interesting. We have, we, if we're going to live a life marked by love, we have to be constantly aware. We have to have a never-ending awareness of God's love for us. If you want to live a life marked by love, you have to live in a constant awareness of God's love for you. I think that's the only, only hope or only way it's going to work out, all right? That's John chapter 13, verse 1. Now go to John chapter 13, verse 14. Now, it doesn't use the word love here, but I think it's, it's kind of implied here. Verse 13, you call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, the washing of the feet here, remember, we believe serves as a parable, and it's a parable of Christ's incarnation, his earthly ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That it's all, that it was an actual event, but it served as a spiritual picture. And the reason we think this is true is because in John 13, when he's washing their feet, they don't understand what's going on. And Jesus even says, um, you see, uh, where does he say this? Uh, John chapter 13, verse 12. Know ye what I have done to you? Know ye what I have done to you? Well, if all Jesus is doing is simply washing their physical feet to clean them, everyone would have understood what you're doing. In other words, when he said this, do you know what I've done to you? They would have been like, well, you washed our feet. No, he's, he's just gave them a living parable of his incarnation. All right? That's what, but this all demonstrates, I, and think about it this way, Jesus, the eternal son of God, laid aside his glory, not his deity, wrapped himself in a human flesh, coming to serve those of us who don't deserve to be served. He came to serve. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death upon the cross. He came to serve and die because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ and his entire earthly ministry demonstrated his love towards sinful men. And he demonstrates all of this through the washing of the feet. So then guess what he says to them? Okay, if I'm your master and Lord, okay, then guess what? Wash, and I've washed your feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, Jesus laid everything aside to love and serve others. We should have a life characterized in a sense of washing people's feet not necessarily in a literal way, but in a sense, washing their feet by serving and loving others. We should live a life characterized and marked by love, loving other people. Loving people, not in order to get something because that's not loving them. Loving because, well, God loved you. That's John 13, verse 1, verse 14. Look at verse 34, John chapter 1, that's what, chapter 1, John chapter 13, verse 1, John chapter 13, verse 14, and John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, I think when this says a new commandment, it's not a new commandment in being told to love because that commandment has already been given in the Old Testament that we are to love others. I think what the new part of this is love, love, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. The, the new commandment is it's based now on a new example, a new standard. The standard of my love for others is Christ's love for me. 
That's why you can never live a life characterized by love if you're not constantly aware of God's love for you. If you're constantly overwhelmed by his love for you, that's how you're to love others. You don't, you listen, you don't measure your love for other people based on what the world considers to be loving. You love others the way Christ has loved you. That's a perfect, sacrificial, loving, that, that is a completely radically different kind of love that we're not even used to. And I, and I think in some ways, I like the picture. I think we're overwhelmed because I, we, I don't think we can ever truly do this. No, nowhere close to perfect. Nowhere close to perfect. Because, because again, our, we love and sometimes our, even our loving is questionable because our motives, I'm going to love you, but I'm expecting something. I'm expecting something. Think of it this way. The concept of gift giving for, say, Christmas or any other, uh, other holiday is somewhat weird, right? Because this is the way it works. So you're going to get me a gift. And then what's expected is I give you a gift. So if you give me a gift, I'm supposed to give you something that's similar in return. So it almost like when you give me a gift, now I'm indebted to give you something back. And it just seems kind of weird. If you're spending money to buy me something and I'm spending money to buy you something, well, why don't I just buy what I want? You just buy what you want and just call the whole thing off, right? Because now I'm giving you a gift, but the expectation is I'm going to get something. Well, I think in many cases, we our, our love is very much like gift giving. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. And what do I want? Oh, and I love you too. I loved you. Look at how I, what I did for you. Well, I, I did something similar. And if we don't feel that that love is being returned, then we, in a sense, we, that's it. We're done. Well, that's, that's not love in a biblical sense. The biblical sense is I'm loving not in order to get, but I'm loving because I'm called to love as God loved me. I hope that make I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes some kind of sense. All right, that's John fourteen verse thirty four. All right, and then and then note verse thirty five. Right, so uh, we have a new commandment: we love one another as He has loved us, that we also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way the world is going to know we're here, His disciples, if we love one another. I think we've left that out. I think it comes down to how will the world know that we are his disciples? Well, we vote for this particular political party. That's how they'll know. Oh, we we take a stand against this, 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 this. Let's make it very clear. This is very important to realize this. This is very important. I want you to think about this. The Bible is unique especially when it comes to this, the commandments to love, because we are told to not only love our neighbor as ourselves, but to love even our enemy, which puts it in a very interesting perspective. I think that makes it very unique because we're called to love in a way that goes against pretty, pretty much even other religious concepts. We are to love even our very enemy. So that makes it, in a sense, somewhat unique, somewhat special to a certain degree. I'm not saying that there's no other religious traditions out there, but I'm saying the Bible is very specific on this. And I think the reason this should be the the characteristic that makes us known is because it is so different. But what Christians have a tendency to do is think that we are going to be known because of our morality. But let's make, make it very clear. Morality is not a unique feature of Christianity. All religious systems 
have a system of morality. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. There's punishment if you do this. There's good if you do that. that. Morality is, it's there. It's everywhere. It's in every religious tradition of some sort. There is a, a, more, a moral system. And I think sometimes Christians want to be known for our morality, right? And our condemnation of wrong behavior more than we want to be known for love. But Jesus says, this is how the world will know you for your love for one another, Right? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Do we love? John 13, you've got the washing, and you've got this interesting commandment that's put right there to love, to love, to love, to love. Now, let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we start in verse 15. John 14 Verse 15, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now this connects love with trying to keep his commandments, but it's still what, so here's the thing, what should motivate our keeping of the commandments is not fear Is not fear, not intimidation. It should be love. Love is the very thing that should motivate us. So if we're going to love others, we have to, we have to do so because we're, we're, we're constantly aware of God's love for us. And if we're going to obey God, it should be motivated by love. Our obedience should be motivated by love, not fear and intimidation. Are you motivated because of your love for God. What, what, is the, what, is the, what is the main motivation for what you do as a Christian? The, the stronger the love, the greater the motivation. The stronger the love you have for Christ, the greater the motivation you will have to serve, to read, to listen to sermons, to do whatever. If it's motivated by something else, it will only turn to bitterness, frustration, and irritation, and ultimately rebellion. I think it's a very important principle here. All right? So that was John 14, 15, right? Um, Then let's go down to verse 21, John 14, verse 21. He He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Again, love is connected to obedience, right? And just, I think this is important. Remember, and I I really want to stress this. Remember, we're never going to love others the way we should. We will never love each. We'll never. We'll never love our enemy the way we should. We'll never never love others the way we should. We'll never love God the way we should. But remember, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, I do love others perfectly because Christ loved everyone perfectly. He loved the Father perfectly. So in Christ, for my position before God, that is determined and set because of the passive and active obedience of Christ being imputed to me by faith. So in one ways, I in one way I can say I do love everyone perfectly in my position. But remember, the Christian life is a constant struggle to try to live out practically what is true positionally. All right? I think that's very important. All right, verse 
verse 23. Go down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father which sent me. Again, one of the things that should characterize our life has to be love and that love should lead to obedience. I just want to make sure you understand the motivator for obedience is love. And again, the greater your awareness is of God's love for you will increase the amount of motivation you have to obey Christ. If you want to obey Christ, grow in your love for, grow in your awareness of his love for you. I almost said that incorrectly. I, I was taught plenty of times in my Christian life that, it, that what should motivate my, my obedience is my love for him. That if I truly loved him, then I would obey. Now, I do understand that concept is hinted at here, but I, I think there's a deeper understanding. My love for him will only increase as I'm aware of his love for me. His, his, my awareness of his love for me increases my love for him, which then motivates me to obey. It's, there, there's like a flow chart here. It starts with God loving his own in chapter 13, verse 1, until the very end. That love for us, when we become aware of it, that motivates my love for him, right? That then motivates the right kind of uh, desire for obedience, which is love. But it all begins with my awareness of God's love for me. How aware are you of God's love for you? Right? That's John chapter 14. And I see verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me, which we just read a second ago. All right. Now that brings us to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Now, the Bible study curriculum this week wants us to focus on verse, I think, verse 9 to, let me see, where do they want? Where do they want us to look here? Let me, I'm setting aside my pencil here. They want us to look at verse 9 to 17. That's where the Bible study curriculum wants. Now, you're going to be looking at verses 9 through 17 and your chapter summary method of John chapter uh, 15. If I said 14, I apologize. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. So here we go. Let's go to verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. As the Father hath loved me, I have loved you. So the Father loves the Son. The Son has loved us. We are to continue in his love. Continue in his love. I think that's a great description of the Christian life. How do you live the Christian life? You continue in his love. What does that look like? A constant awareness of his love for you, which leads you to a love for him, which leads you to loving others, which leads you to desiring to obey him. And all this love is, is, is really the answer here. Right, Not to be, sound like a, a catchphrase or just a cliche, it, but it, it really is here. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I spoke unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. 
The greatest example of love is where you're willing to lay down your life. You're giving up your, the very, your very life for someone else. That, that, that goes against everything that's inside of you. Because inside of you, it's about me. It's about me. It's about me. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should be remain, and that whatsoever shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So, let's, let's make this very clear. You can't even begin to love anybody else. The only way to do this is the only way to, to I, think, I think of it this way. The only way to love others and the only way to obey God is a constant awareness of God's love for you. Because when you're constantly aware of God's love for you, that awareness of, now that's awareness of a God type love, a God love, not a human love, then that kind of love can be given to others. And the more you understand God's love for you, it will motivate you to obey him. Your loving of others and your obedience to God is is not going to occur without a constant awareness of God's love for you. You have to swim in God's love for you. You have to drink in it. You have to drink it. You have to eat. You have to feed upon it. You have to meditate on God's love for you. God's love for you. God's love for you. God's love for you. When you're so just absolutely consumed by it, then that will motivate you to love others and that will motivate you to obey God in a correct way. Now, you can be motivated by fear and intimidation, but it has to be because of God's love. And I think that's the last thing. And yeah, that's all I'm going to say in John 15. There you have it. A life of love. The world needs to see it more than ever. The world needs to see it. And I think sometimes when we, especially on social media, I think social media has been one of the worst things that's happened to us as Christians is because we, we speak to other people and we do, we attack and we call names and we, we just, we act like the world. Now, there's one thing to stand for truth. It's another thing to be a condescending, arrogant jerk who condemns everyone. And where's love? Where's compassion? Where's mercy? Remember God's love for you. Now, I'll end with this. You're supposed to be doing a Bible, a chapter summary method of Bible study. John 13, 14, and 15. We've worked on 13 and 14 in the previous weeks of our Bible study exercise. This week is all about John 15. Now, you, you still need to go back and do your Bible study exercise, your chapter, sum, or your chapter summary method for 13 and 14, but you've done enough work on those two chapters that it shouldn't take you a lot of time. Then you're going to be faced with a brand new chapter, which is John 15. So just to help you out a little bit, here's a possible outline. You can, you can reject it. You can tell me why. You can tell me if you like it. But here's what I think there are three key concepts that we could break John 15 down this way. I'm not going to give you the verse breakdown. You can look at it for yourself. John 15, you have the concept of abide or abiding. You have the concept of love and you have the concept of hope. John 15, abiding, loving, hating, or abide, love, hate. I think that's a 
a beginning outline of John chapter 15. Abiding love and hate. And please note that the first eight verses of John 15 deals with this abiding and fruit and vine. And I want you have to understand that that section is extremely controversial. And everyone from every theological uh, stream and every theological walk of life grabs John 15 verses 1 through 8, and they try to use it to prove their theology. People who believe you can lose your salvation, John 15, 1 through 8. People who believe that if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it proves you were never saved, John 15, 1 through 8. People, you name it, people use John 15, 1 through 8 for every almost any kind of theological argument. When you're doing your bio, chapter summary method, remember, don't try to interpret it. Just write down your observations of it. And, and then if you have questions, we'll, we'll try to get to that. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll just see where things go this week. All right. But I just really wanted to start today getting you thinking about the concept of love, a life of love. Now, when I read John 13, 14, and 15, I'm overwhelmed by those commandments to love because I know I don't love God correctly because I don't always follow his commandments. I know I don't always love others the way I'm supposed to because I fall short all the time. I don't love, I don't, I don't love people the right way. Now, Nothing excuses that, but I'm thankful that God still loves me, and, and I know that in him, I do meet all of the requirements for love because he met them for me, but my job is to constantly try to live out in this life what is true positionally. What is true positionally, I've, I love everything perfectly, and practically, I don't, so I have to constantly strive to try to live this out by demonstrating love to others, and what will motivate me to do this? My a con- constant awareness of God's love for me. That will help me love others, and that will help me obey. There you have it. little Bible study exercise on a Sunday afternoon right here from Abilene, Texas. I do apologize that in the background, this upstairs room, there's a window right behind me, and it is just noisy. There, if anything's going on outside, you probably picked it up. There was someone riding a go-kart all over the place. Uh, you could hear that. I don't know if you could hear it. I wanted, to, I wanted to stop and go open the window and go, hey, do you mind? Okay. But yeah, there were some kids riding a go-kart right next to us. And then this window, it's, it's got an, a, a, an air conditioning unit in the window, and it just... Can you hear that? And the wind's blowing like 900 miles an hour today. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I hope, I hope that doesn't cause us any distractions. I hope if it does, I apologize. I hope so. I, 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 I don't monitor my, my program. I know a lot of people when they do podcasts, they listen to themselves with headphones. I don't, it's just to me, it's annoying. It's just, I don't do that. I don't preach with a pair of headphones on. So why am I going to do my podcasting with a pair of headphones on? And not only that, um, I do my podcast live. So even if I'm sitting there broadcasting and I got a pair of headphones on where I can hear what the mic is picking up, what good is it going to do me knowing that the mic is picking up all of the noise from the window because I can't do anything about it? I'm live on the air. It's not like I can stop and go, okay, start the recording over. So to me, there's no reason to monitor it. But um, there you go. I monitor it to try to get the volume set correctly. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, you know, after that, I, I don't want the headphones anywhere near me. So just not that you care, but I just want you to know that I am aware when there's noise in the background and it typically bothers me. Now, what I typically get from you guys is you didn't hear it. 
You didn't, you didn't notice it, which is great. I'm glad you didn't hear it. I'm glad you didn't notice it. But I always want to at least acknowledge it when it happens. All right. There you go. We got no questions. I'm doing just a little bit of talking, making sure we got no questions in the chat. It is Sunday afternoon. A lot of people are either taking a nap. They're doing something with their family. There's a lot of people don't listen on Sunday afternoon. But uh, if you are, I hope this proves to be beneficial and get you off to a great week of study. Remember, chapter summary method, chapter 13, 14, and 15. Go listen to that episode, chapter summary method of Bible study. All right. I'm going to place it. I'm going to place the episode inside the series Bible study exercises. I'm going to place that I haven't done so yet. It will show up in that series probably in the next 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to change it for the Church One app. If you go to the Church One app and look for series and find Bible study exercise, I'm going to put the Bible study methods that I've taught recently in that series. So it'll just be easy to find. I think it's applicable to the Bible study exercises. So um, yeah, that's where that will show up. So you can uh, find it there. And, and if you're listening to me on YouTube or any other way, I would really, really, really challenge you to download the Church One app. It's absolutely free, Apple or Android, Church One, all run together, Church, O-N-E, not the number one, not, not the numeric one, the, the written out, the word, one, O-N-E, Church One. And then just once you download it, you'll have to, you'll have to search for Theology Central, and then choose us as the broadcaster because the Church One app is a generic app used by all kinds of broadcasters. So you have to choose us and then make sure the notifications are on and basically it becomes the Theology Central app. And I can send out notifications to you and you'll get notifications every time we go live and every time I add new content. So um, just make sure all the notifications are turned on. If you need any help with that, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. And we have, we've gained a lot of subscribers on YouTube over the last probably week. Um, and so I just want them to know that there's this other app if they want to be able to keep up with everything because the YouTube channel is a catch-all for everything and there's no way to really break it down into different individual series. So if you're trying to find something, it can be a little overwhelming, but the Church One app is the solution to all of that. So that's why we're, we're continuing and we're continuing to add content to the Church One app so that pretty much as much as I have in my archives that I can find, I'm putting there on the app. So you definitely want to be checking that out. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Everyone have a great day. God bless.